Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Johnson & Johnson, Kane University, where cougars climb higher. PSEG Foundation, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Atlantic Health System, building healthier communities. NJM Insurance Group, serving New Jersey's drivers, homeowners, and business owners for more than 100 years. New Jersey Sharing Network, and by Veolia, resourcing the world. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association, and by bestofnj.com, all New Jersey in one place. Hi everyone, Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching us right here on News 12 Plus. Um, we're going to tee up this program you're about to see, and one of the interviews will be with the president of the BPU, the Board of Public Utilities, and she's here right now. Christine Gould Sadovi is the president of New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, otherwise known as the BPU. Christine, so good to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to see you. And you know, in that interview with with the the president, we talk about wind energy, climate change, and we also talk about electrifying transportation, a whole range of related issues. But right now for this intro right here on News 12 Plus, talk to us about the Comfort Partners Initiative. What is it and why is it so significant? Thanks, Steve. The Comfort Partners Program is, is something that the BPU does and it's in partnership with our utilities. It's a program that offers incentives to income qualified residents to help them make energy improvements, energy efficiency improvements and upgrades in their homes. Uh, it's at no cost to the resident and it helps residents to not only save money on their utility bills by um, doing energy efficiency improvements, but also to help, you know, make sure that their homes are more comfortable. And it's it's such a great program. And I think um, it's something that we're really proud of at the BPU and we want people to take advantage of. Who qualifies for this? And is that is it economic based? It, it, it is. It's income qualified. So income. certainly, uh, yes. And, and so can someone, if they go on the website, how can they find out if they qualify or not? They can go just go to the website and they'll go through the um, application process and, and um, they'll be able to get help. Uh, and there, there's also a phone number on the website that, that is provided. And our information is that more than 125,000 New Jersey residents have seen reductions in their utility bills through the Comfort Partners Program. Is that accurate? That's right. We just hit that milestone, Steve, of 125,000 residents. Wow. And that's that's a lot of families. So, so to the president of the BPU Board of Public Utilities, Christine Gould-Sadovi, I want to thank you and uh, your colleagues. And again, to disclose, we have a, a collaboration where with the BPU and their advertising agency in which we're trying to pro provide public information, public awareness around clean energy issues. Thank you so much, Christine. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Check us out right here. Hi, everyone. Steve Adubato. We kick off the program all the way from Atlantic City. We have the mayor of uh, the great city of Atlantic City, uh, Mayor Small, Marty Small. Mayor, good to have you with us again. 
Yes, uh, my pleasure to be with you, Steve, and your viewing audience. And it's a great day here in the city of Atlantic City. Can we say great day? It is a great day. And I listen, I was expecting that from you. I went back and looked at the last interview we did, and I said, the mayor's always up being positive. He forces the rest of us to be as well, and that's a good thing. Mayor, do this for us. Talk about food insecurity issues in Atlantic City, A and B. Is there still no supermarket in Atlantic City, which is devastating on so many levels, please? Yes. Um, you know, we have currently food insecurities here in the great city of Atlantic City. We had EDA, uh, through the governor, uh, invest uh, $5 million um, to help out the situation uh, temporarily. Uh, last week, I went out um, to the back Maryland section of the city, and they have a bus, which is a mobile grocery store, and it will be out there uh, two days a week. The prices are fairly good. Um, listen, um, to put it blunt, you know, we fail with the supermarket. When I say we, we as a collective hold, um, you know, with the city, we had uh, a deal in place with ShopRite. I know. It just didn't work uh, with the rising cost of construction. One thing led to another. And, you know, we let the residents down. However, we did put out another uh, request for proposal with CRDA, which came back insufficient. And we still are committed to bring a name brand a grocery store here for the good people of Atlantic City. And the CRDA, if I'm not mistaken, is the Casino Redevelopment Authority. Yeah, the Casino Reinvestment Development Authority, yes. Mayor, talk to us about public safety. There's a $5 million camera installation initiative in Atlantic City. What is that initiative all about, A and B? What impact would it have on reduction of crime, please? Yes, it's going to have a tremendous impact. Um, all major crime statistics are down. Um, we want to continue that. Um, when we look at the great city of Atlantic City, we are an international tourist uh, destination. And we want to give our cops, uh, fine men and women in blue of the Atlantic City Police Department, all the tools that are conducive for, you know, clean and safe streets here in the great city of Atlantic City. And I believe that this project will do just that. It has been previously discussed by prior administrations, prior city council, and I'm just happy through our negotiations with the state of New Jersey that in the 23 budget, we've had um, $16.8 million extra in supplemental transitional aid, and we earmarked $5 million. Uh, the project is underway. Um, the contract is JCT Solutions, and the cameras are going to be equipped with artificial intelligence. So if something happened, you could say, I'm looking for a person with a red long sleeve shirt, and all the cameras in Atlantic City that picks up a red long sleeve shirt will show someone with a red long sleeve shirt and just narrow it by a process of elimination. Um, well, Mayor, the other piece, that, I'm sorry for interrupting, is community policing is a big part of this. Beyond the technology, yes. there's a different approach to policing. Uh, yes, we have a new deployment plan, which our officers um, you know, favor very much. We also were just successful for getting more cops. We were, we were awarded a cops grant, which we will hire 30 new officers we're currently working with the Board of Education. Um, my wife is the superintendent of schools to talk about putting some offices in schools with uh, some of these grants. We're looking at a motorcycle unit. And I want to form a community policing, uh, particularly on Atlantic and Pacific Avenue, where, you know, a lot of people lawyer and, you know, we need to clean that up. So um, the small administration is definitely putting that money where his mouth is when it comes to the Atlantic City Police Department. Mayor. Mayor, uh, help us on this. By the way, if you just joined us, we're talking to the mayor of uh, Atlantic City, Mayor Marty Small. Mayor, I was just down in Atlantic City for a, a seminar that I was leading, and I thought, and I, I will admit this, I did stop in, 
to the casino that I was at. I enjoy blackjack, <clears throat> moderate, moderate gambler. Um, but I got to ask you, I was struck by the smoking situation there. And help us understand why legislation that has been sitting around for a long time, Mayor, to ban smoking in every area of the casinos to protect workers and protect customers. A, why hasn't that moved forward? And B, you've called for a compromise. Why hasn't it moved forward? And B, what's that compromise, Mayor? Well, well listen, um, you know, unfortunately, in a position that I'm in, when you make a decision, you know, people either want to agree or disagree. I'm not against uh, the casino workers uh, who, who are rightfully express their uh, opinion on that it shouldn't be smoking in. I'm coming from it with a global perspective. Again, lo losing a mother and grandmother to cancer, I'm sympathetic and empathetic. However, when you look at the statistics, when Atlantic City tried no smoking, um, it was a disaster. Um, it was at Rebel. Um, Rebel went bankrupt several times uh, before uh, it closed for a while, then it was reopened as Ocean Resorts, which is now, ironically, one of the top three casinos here in the great city. That's where I was, at Ocean. So, so you're saying it's an economic thing. Sorry for interrupting, Mayor. You're saying banning smoking in casinos is an economic thing and we will lose to surrounding states. No, it's not about losing to surrounding states because everybody is chipping away of what Atlantic City used to be. And I'm one to always say we need to diversify our offerings more family entertainment, et cetera. As far as the gaming situation go, um, I'm looking at numbers when any disaster happens at a casino, let's just take COVID. Yes, the casino survived, but for a long time, we were operating at 25% of the casino floor. You can't hire 100% of the workforce if you're operating at a 25% um, capacity. So when we look at the smoking situation, uh, Rebel, now, Ocean came in with that mantra that it was going to be no smoke. It was a smoke-free uh, casino. So, unfortunately, way before my time, gambling and smoking goes hand-in-hand. However, we're not letting the casinos off the hook. Can the air filtration system be better? Absolutely. Can there be something that, uh, that, that can be done that can strike a compromise? I want everybody to win. I want the workers to win. We value that health and safety. And at the same time, our biggest industry, you have to understand the casinos are the biggest taxpayer in the current city of Atlantic City. They provide the most amount of jobs. And I went through it all. We went through Sandy when we had to tell the world that the boardwalk didn't wash away. There was another local area where the boardwalk washed away. We saw four casinos closed. We saw people write Atlantic City off. We went through a state takeover. And now um, the, the city is excelling um, the government is getting rave reviews by Moody's and Standard and Poor's, and we're collecting over 98% of taxes. Any dip in that is going to hurt the great city of Atlantic City. Casino workers are going to be out of jobs. People are not going to pay their taxes as much. And, and more importantly, when you look at the totality uh, of the situation, it'll be a detriment to the same state of Jersey that depend on the casino industry. We here in the great city of Atlantic City, we don't get luxury tax. We don't get parking tax. We don't get anything off of um, the taxes from the casinos. The state of New Jersey's only report in 2018 showed that $154.5 million left the great city of Atlantic City, not a penny, and went to the state of New Jersey for senior programs and other services provided for the benefit of the industry.
You're listening to Mayor Marty Small of Atlantic City. Mayor, as always, you, you honor us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You guys, stay with us. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. We're now joined by David Walker, Chief Executive Officer and Executive Director of Visions and Pathways. David, great to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here. We'll put up the website. Tell everyone what uh, Visions and Pathways is. Um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, been in business for over 50 years. We help abused, neglected, homeless, and, and runaway youth. We provide housing and social services. We help youth become self-sufficient. In 2024, how serious is the problem of, of young people who are homeless or on the verge of being homeless? How serious is that problem in our, in our state and nation? It, it, it's, it's a problem throughout the nation, problem throughout this, the state. Um, a large percentage of our kids are aging out of foster care. In any year, 800 kids are aging out of foster care. And unfortunately, very often, they have no place to go. So there's a, a large correlation between aging out of foster care and becoming old. Define aging out. What are we talking about specifically? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with foster care, it's either 18 or 21. So at 18 or 21, that's the age at which the state no longer provides care. So if they're in a foster home, the foster home will no longer receive payment for taking care of them. If they're in a group home, we run several group homes. Um, if they're in a group home, the state would no longer cover the cost associated with taking care for uh, a, a young person that's been abused and neglected all their lives. We ask virtually everyone who comes on uh, with the impact of COVID or the impact of COVID on, on the work they do and the people they serve. What would you say the most significant impact uh, has been on these young people who find themselves aging out of the foster care system vis-a-vis uh, -vis COVID? Yeah, our, our, our kids are similar to kids throughout the nation, an increase in depression and anxiety. Um, so our, our kids that have been abused and neglected already uh, was a population that experienced a high level of anxiety and depression. It's just become more acute. What do they need? What do these young people need from an organization like Visions and Pathways? What do they need? They, they need stability, and that's what we provide. Um, they're homeless. Um, they have no place else to go. They've gone from foster home to foster home. So they need that stability and support. It starts there um, so that they know that they have a safe place to live, a place where they're getting nutritious meals, a place where they'll be accepted. So once they have that stability, they need the support to acquire the skills that they need to become self-sufficient. What happens if they don't, David? What's happening to a lot of these young people who don't get the services, the help, the support, the stability that you just described? Not that they're all the same, but no. What do many of these young people face? Yeah, unfortunately, the aging out population, the outcomes, uh, unfortunately, very uh, are not positive. Higher incidence of incarceration, higher incidence uh, of drug use. So what happens is if they do not get that support, um, they, they go down the wrong path. Um, and that's why we're here, to make sure that they get support they need, they get the guidance that they need, they learn about careers, and that they know that there's a loving community that cares about them and wants them to thrive. How'd you find your way into this work? Well, I'm a retired attorney. Um, I, I worked in New York City for a number of years. 
um, focusing on human rights and the human services issues. Um, and my journey led to community-based human services is where the rubber meets the road. If you really want to have impact on people's lives, communities' lives, young people, making sure that young people thrive, it's community-based organizations like Business Pathways that makes the difference every day. So again, every not-for-profit leader, because you mentioned you're a 501c3, for folks who don't know what that means, it's, it's, a, it's part of the tax code. You're a 501c3. Uh, we do not pay, we're a 501c3. We don't pay taxes, if you will, if, as if you were a for-profit business, but we are <clears throat> in a business that is constantly securing the funding that allows us to do what we do. Your funding comes from where, David? Yeah, it, it's a mix. We receive a significant amount of government funding, um, foundation support, charitable contributions. For the more creative things that we, we do, uh, our wellness program, our nutrition program, we depend very heavily on charitable contributions. So it, it's a real dynamic mix of government support, um, corporate foundation support, and individual contributions. Let me ask you this, because housing housing costs are ridiculous yeah. in this state and in the nation, in this region in particular, but in the state of New Jersey. Um, your organization is currently raising funds for a 10-unit complex in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Talk about what that is and why it's so significant as it yeah, relates to affordable housing. Exactly. We're very excited about it. It's called the Bridge House Project. And what Bridge House will be is 10 units of affordable housing for youth who have aged out of foster care, and I should say young adults who have aged out of foster care and similarly situated individuals. And it gives them that stability that they need to, to, to thrive. And as you said, the affordable housing, there's a scarcity and it's just critically important. So once we have a safe place to live, uh, where there's support, um, clinical services, behavioral health services, um, wellness, nutrition, then that young person, that young adult, um, has that foundation that they need to go on, come self-sufficient, and contribute mightily to our society. Have, have you touched on the Street Smart program? Is that a subset of what you do? Yeah, Street Smart is, is one of our programs. The Street Smart is really an intervention, and the name kind of tells you what it's all about. It's hitting the street and uh, identifying young folks that may be having problems at home before they run away, before they kicked out of the house, so that we can make sure that they get that support um, before they become human trafficking victims and, and be exposed to uh, the detrimental aspects of, of our society. So that's what Street Smart is all about. Hit the streets, keeping our youth at home if possible, if not at home, find a safe place for them before they become homeless and they hit the street. David, before I let you go, we've been putting up the website. We'll put it up one more time. If people want to be helpful to the work um, of visions and pathways. They go on your website. How can they do that? Yeah, they, they can go on our website. We have a mentoring program. We depend very heavily on volunteers um, and charitable contributions. Um, we have a, a number of properties throughout Somerset County and some in the other counties. Just upkeep of those properties um, is quite expensive, but we have corporations, faith-based organizations that come in and do painting, beautification, help us cut expenses. So our mentoring program, um, helping us to maintain our properties um, and just really working with our youth hands on. Um, there, there are a number of things that, that people- Real quick, again, before I let you go, you said mentoring. It, what does that mean? Define that. 
for folks? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we have three mentoring programs, um, Journey to Manhood for Young Men, Jewels for Young Women, and Skittles for LGBTQ youth. And a large percentage of homeless youth are LGBTQ. And it's groups. So it's about people sharing their experiences. A uh, number of our mentors have come from similar backgrounds as our youth. So they tell about their life journey, the hardships that they encountered and how they have overcome those hardships to be successful. So it's all about, I've been down that path too. I know you can make it because I made it. David Walker and his team are doing important work every day. He's the CEO and executive director of Visions and Pathways, part of our Making a Difference series featuring not-for-profit organizations and leaders making a difference every day, particularly in the lives of those who are uh, struggling and uh, been dealt a pretty terrible hand and they just need someone to reach out and be helpful. Thank you, David, we appreciate it. We'll continue the conversation with you in the future. Thank you so much. You guys stay with us, we'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Do you know someone who's done something extraordinary for others, whether a community service or an act of heroism? That person may be a candidate for the Raspberry Award for making a difference. Help us pay it forward by honoring New Jersey's unsung heroes in their efforts to make a difference in the lives of others. We're now joined by Christine Gould-Sadovi, who's the president of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, otherwise known as the BPU. Christine, good to see you. Good to see you, Steve. So let's start with this. Um, Joe Fiordaliso, uh, the late, great president of the BPU, a longtime friend of ours. We've had, um, we had him on so many times. You worked with him. You knew him well. We saw each other at Joe's uh, wake. What made Joe Fiordaliso so special and what a great public servant? Steve, uh, it's hard to put into words, I think, what made Joe such a great public servant, a great mentor, and a great friend. Uh, he had a wonderful sense of humor. He was approachable. He was open-minded. Uh, he, he was so committed to the goals of the BPU and Governor Murphy's clean energy um, policy goals. And he was so incredibly supportive of staff like me. I was his chief of staff, among other things, and all of the staff of the BPU, and he didn't miss an opportunity to talk about the wonderful staff uh, of this department. Check out our Remember Them series um, in which we honor, recognize uh, Joe Fiordaliso, a great public servant. Uh, let's switch gears, and also let me also disclose that uh, the Caucus Educational Corporation, our not-for-profit organization, has received a grant from, not directly from the BPU, but from the advertising agency that does public awareness around clean energy um, issues. We have all kinds of folks with different points of view on this. But in this case, Christine, I want to ask you this. Orsted leaves on November the 1st. They leave the state. And please check out our interview with Governor Murphy, where we talk extensively about that. They leave the state. They're the leaders as it relates to wind energy. What now? Well, Steve, that was certainly a setback. And we acknowledge that. But we are more committed than ever to moving forward, not just in offshore wind, but all of the of Governor Murphy's clean energy goals to get us to 100% clean energy. Offshore wind is a cornerstone, the cornerstone of, of the clean energy goals that we have. And we are committed 
and we will move forward in spite of that setback. So Atlantic Shores, you know, that is, did they pick up all of the, Atlantic Shores is another uh, company that does wind energy. Did they pick up all that work, Christine? So Atlantic Shores is a separate, they're a separate entity, separate project. Separate uh, project. So someone yeah, else has separate. to pick up the Orsted. What Orsted left, someone else has to pick up that. So we are, we are as as you may know, the, the governor directed the BPU to advance the fourth solicitation, originally right. scheduled for the end of 2024. We are now moving it up um, to, um, you know, to the early part of 2024. And I think that that really demonstrates our commitment to, you know, get through this setback and move forward towards our goals around developing offshore wind. Christine, let me ask you this. To those who are critical, and we've had many legislators, particularly Republican legislators who've come on and said, you know what, the economics don't work. Wind energy is not proven. Plus, look what's happening to the whales that are uh, washing up on shore. That's got to have something to do with wind energy. What do you say to those folks and those who are questioning the power of wind energy, please? Sure. So wind energy is, is a proven technology around the world. It's, it's not a new technology. Um, offshore wind is, again, the the cornerstone of our clean energy policies in New Jersey and is poised to bring significant economic development in addition to the clean energy generation that it is it is going to bring to the state of New Jersey and help us to mitigate climate impacts. There's a lot of misinformation out there about the impacts of, of offshore wind. And, you know, we understand that there is opposition, um, but we are working based on evidence and there's no evidence of, of any connection between offshore wind and the marine mammal strandings. Um, so we are, you know, we are moving forward in a responsible way and continue with that commitment to offshore wind. We're talking to the president of the Board of Public Utilities and you, the BPU regulates a whole range of industries. Uh, the Tell folks what you regulate so everyone understands the powerful role of the BPU. Sure, we regulate the state's public utilities. Um, that includes, um, you know, in addition to electric, gas, water, um, cable, telephone. Um, and then we are also the Office of Clean Energy, the state's Office of Clean Energy. Let's talk about electric, uh, electrifying transportation. What the heck does electrifying transportation even mean? So what it means for, you know, the, the administration and Governor Murphy's goals is, is focusing on transportation as a source of emissions, a significant source of emissions in the state of New Jersey and make, making sure that we're moving towards electrifying the, the, the whole transportation system, um, including residential vehicles, uh, the BPU. We just actually closed our incentive program because we expended all the funds for the year. It will reopen in the next fiscal year. Um, and it's really about incentivizing people who want to switch to electric who are ready to drive electric to help you know help support them and and make sure that they are able to afford electric vehicles if they want to make that switch. And how confident are you about the charging stations being in place to do that? We have you know there so much work is being done to expand charging stations. We understand that you know that range of anxiety exists and but at this department at the BPU at the DEP, but also really importantly federal funding coming in from the Biden administration to support the expansion of charging stations throughout the state. So that in addition to those people who have the ability to have a charger at home, there will also be public charging stations as there already are and that, and that will continue to grow throughout the state. Uh, Christine, 
Gul Sadovi is the president of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, otherwise known as the BPU, and uh, important conversations about climate change, wind energy, uh, electrifying, if you will, uh, cars, and a whole range of other related topics. We'll continue that conversation in future interviews. Thank you so much, Madam President. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for watching, folks. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating 30 years in public broadcasting. Funding has been provided by PSE&G, Johnson & Johnson, Kane University, PSEG Foundation, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Atlantic Health System, NJM Insurance Group, New Jersey Sharing Network, and by Veolia. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by bestofnj.com. Do you know someone who's done something extraordinary for others, whether a community service or an act of heroism? That person may be a candidate for the Raspberry Award for making a difference. Help us pay it forward by honoring New Jersey's unsung heroes in their efforts to make a difference in the lives of others. Here at Kane University, everyone gets their chance to climb higher. Michael came to Kane and found his passion for healthcare, and now he's a doctor. After Trisha graduated, her graphic design work was featured in the New York Times. Samantha is studying athletic training and finding her path through an internship with the New York Giants. Real students, real stories, real success. Cougars climb higher. Kane University. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world.